The following is a sermon from Pastor Timothy Borman and Sure Foundation, a church located in Woodside, Queens, New York, the world's most diverse community. For more information and for more audio content, go to sure-foundation.org. Our sermon lesson for this, um, this second Sunday of Advent as we come closer to celebrating the coming, the birth of our Savior Jesus is found in, in Matthew chapter 1. And um, you can open up your Bibles there to Matthew's genealogy as he starts his gospel uh, with, with this, this genealogy. And I'm going to read it for you now. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. This is the Gospel of the Lord. So we're calling this family tree. <laughs> the sermon series throughout Advent. I couldn't help myself. It just, it just worked. It worked. And it, it, it describes, I think, pretty well what how Matthew begins what he calls a Genesis. This is the beginning, the line of, of Jesus, and it, and it made for a nice graphic on your bulletins there. Because then you have this tree, and it almost looks like Christmas on there. And he even harkens back to Genesis, right? Where you have the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It just worked. We had, I had to do it. We're calling it family tree. But, but I also have to tell you this. This is honesty time. This isn't really a family tree. Maybe you've got one of those uh, strange uncles. I've got one of them. I love him to death. But he does genealogies. I think all of our families have at least that one person who, who goes on to Ancestry.com and they can tell you everything about um, your, your um, great, great, great grandfather and then your great, great, great grandmother and your second and third cousins and everything that that they do and did but that's not what we have here this is this isn't a, this isn't a family tree it's it's actually just and only a branch it sounds prophetic doesn't it like this this is actually just a family branch and, and so what, what Matthew does is he obscures and leaves in the shadow just about the whole family tree of Jesus, and he, and he just gives the dads. And it, and it kind of makes sense. Like it, it, It's very expected. The line goes on swimmingly for a while, like Abraham, of course. Of course, Abraham has got to be in the line of Jesus. Like he's, he's the father of faith. And then, then Isaac, the promised child, the, the miracle child, of course, he's in the line of Jesus. And, and then Jacob, yes, Jacob too is in the line of Jesus. And then his son Judah. Everything goes on in an expected, swimming way until we get to Tamar. Tamar. I suppose I should point this out to you. None of the prominent matriarchs make it. Not Sarah. 
she's not in there. Not Rebecca, she's not in there. Not Leah, she's not in there either. Like None of them make it for, for, for the Holy Spirit's purpose, but Tamar's there. There she is, like the, the spotlight. It's an eruption in the branch. An absolute explosion that all of a sudden the Holy Spirit shines a light on Tamar. And not just Tamar. The five different times women who are not prominent matriarchs, they're named. Tamar is one of them, and each one of them has an eye-popping story. Now, this is full disclosure, like when I, when I plan a sermon series, I often work with my brother, my twin brother, um, he's also a pastor, and we plan out things months in advance, and we thought, you know what we should do? We should take people through the eye-popping stories in Matthew chapter 1, and we'll call it, we'll call it Family Tree. And I thought, this is a good idea. And then I got to it this last week, and I thought, this was not a good idea. Because now I have to talk about Tamar. We have to. And, and look, full disclosure to all the parents out there, if you, this does not end up in the, in, the, in, the, in the Sunday school lessons books and this doesn't go into the children's, the children's Bibles. This is Genesis chapter 38. And there's a reason why. You can't tell this story to the kids. If we were going to give it a movie rating... What rating would we give it? I think we'd give it, as a bare minimum, rated R. Restricted. Isn't that what it means? So here, here's the challenge set before us. We've got to talk about this in a mixed group with different demographics, right? And, and we've got to do it. I, this is my promise to the parents out there. Like, this isn't going to be G-rated today. That's for a general audience. I, I looked up what each of these things mean. This is going to be PG. We'll keep it PG, which means, do you know what PG means? It means parental guidance. So I guess I'm not going to apologize to so you parents out there. I'm not going to apologize if you need to go home and give your kids a little bit of guidance on this because I think most of us let our kids watch PG movies. We'll keep it there. Rated PG. Because we got to talk about Tamar. Tamar in the Bible cuts a sympathetic figure. She really does. Like, you know this, that when, when you interpret the Bible and when you think about what, what these people in the Bible means, you, you have to read them always in context. And so if you read Tamar in context, Genesis chapter 38, you read her next to Potiphar's wife. You know Potiphar's wife? the one who was sort of trying to get Joseph to do things that only uh, married mommies and daddies should do. And then she, she claimed a, a sexual assault, but it was all a lie. That woman. We read Tamar next to her, and Tamar is sympathetic. Because she was abused. Three times in a row by three different men in the same family, she was abused and neglected and used. Judah, we meet her, when Judah brings her in the family, he gets a wife 
for his firstborn son, Ur. That's his name. And we know nothing about him, only this, that after he marries Tamar, he becomes a wicked man. So wicked that God offs him. He just kills him. God, God eliminates him. Now, we don't know what he did. But what we do know is that it happened after he was married to Tamar. And married women know this, that when they're married to a bad man, a wicked man, that you don't escape no matter what the violence is, no matter what the abuse is, no matter what the, the wickedness is, you don't escape that. Not ever. So God offed him, and, and Tamar's husband died. That's abuse number one. And then... There was this law called the Leverite Law, and, and the, the closest brother was supposed to provide the heir, so they're supposed to get married, so they do. Tamar marries a man named Onan. And this time the Bible gets descriptive and salacious. Onan was a bad man. He's a really bad man. I can't tell you exactly what he did. You've got to read it later. But I, I can tell you this, that he, he took Tamar for everything she was worth and enjoyed her and none of the responsibility. He was such a deviant that there's actually a practice that English speakers use his name still today. It's called Onanism. And it's bad. If you don't know what it is, you can look it up later. Like, oh, he practiced Onanism. See, the kids don't know what that is. Good thing, right? And then God offed him too. He killed him because of his wickedness. Tamar was, was, was abused by her first husband and then her second husband, and then she was abandoned by Judah. See, Judah, he, he, this is the interesting thing. Judah, he didn't know what was going on. He was oblivious, and Tamar never told him. Tamar never went to, to her father and said, you know what your sons are like? You know what they're doing? They're doing onanism. She never opens her mouth or says anything. So Judah thinks that she's some kind of black widow. Like, that she's figured it out. Like, she's figured out how to, you know, off husband number one and husband number two because he had a third son. And what he was supposed to do is give the third son, but he never does. He says, go live with your family. Just go live with them. And I'll give you my third son later. But he, in his head, in his heart, he's saying, I'm never going to do it. He abandoned her and neglected her and left her on ice. Tamar was abused and used and neglected by three men in her life right in a row. She cuts a sympathetic figure. Pause right there. Pause. I got to talk to the men for a second. And those who aspire to be men one day, we can't treat people like this in our lives. Especially the women. 
We can't use them or abuse them or neglect them. God calls us to be more than that as men. Like, in the, in the world today, people are wondering, what's going on with the men? You've read the articles, right? What's going on with the men? Well, one thing that I know that's going on with the men, and too many of us, is that we don't love like Christ loved the church. And Christ loved the church by being willing to make the one big sacrifice. So you men out there, you're called to make the one big sacrifice and every little sacrifice in between. And we need to take responsibility, not just take all the pleasure that we want and none of the responsibility. We need to take responsibility for the gifts that God gives. That's what it, partly what it means to be a man. But let's open it up to the gender that also takes, seems to take responsibility more readily. We all need to look at, out and see where is it where I have neglected to take responsibility where I need to. And we've always got, we've got those things out there. Like, I, I, I'm ashamed of this, but I'm supposed, you know what I'm supposed to do at the end of the day? I'm supposed to put the gates down outside the church. And there was this one time where I didn't want to. I was in a hurry. I hate putting down those gates with all my heart. And so I did it. And then someone chucked a brick through it. My fault? Not really, but yes. All I had to do was put the gates down, and I didn't. When we don't take responsibility for the things that we're called to, it causes problems. Unpause. So here's Tamar, and she's on ice. And she knew something about Judah. His wife had just died, and they were about to do some sheep shearing. Which means it's like it's like a, it's it's the harvest time. Like this is a joyous time. She knew that he'd probably drink. She knew that he was lonely. She knew all these things that about Judah, and so she made a little plan in her heart. She thought, you know what I'll do? I will become a worker in the world's oldest profession. And I'll disguise myself as one of those workers and sit along the road, and Judah will come along, and, and he did. And Judah sees her along the side of the road and doesn't recognize her. And so there he is, and he makes a cold, hard deal. And he says to her, will you work for me? And she says, yes, I will work for you. And he said, how about this much money? And she said, yes, that's okay. But since you can't pay me right now, you've got to give me your driver's license and your credit cards. And he says, here. And then she worked for him. And three months went by, and she's big as a house. She's got twins. <laughs> Makes sense, right? And the whole family knew what she had done. But Judah didn't know that he had participated in it, so they went and told Judah and said, Judah, your daughter-in-law is pregnant. And then Judah makes a rash and very harsh, immediate judgment. He says, just burn her. I'm done with her. And then she sends the credit cards and the driver's license and says, I, I'm pregnant by this man. Do you know him? And so she's saved. 
and he's saved. Two things. Judah, after this moment in his life, probably the worst one ever, he's different. He's changed. Like, read the rest of Genesis. He's, 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 a, he's a different man. He's, he's not doing this kind of stuff anymore. And Tamar, she goes home with twins in the line of the Savior. Now, what are we supposed to do with this? I'll tell you what we can't do. We cannot think that this teaches us how to live. Look, 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 I, as sympathetic a figure as Tamar cuts, and she really, the, I really think that the biblical uh, evidence wants us to view her um, with warmth. I can't defend what she did. I can't, I can't pretend to defend the fact that she, she faked joining the oldest profession on earth and then arguably, arguably committed what some might call incest. Can't defend it. So what do we do with this? What does this teach us? I think it teaches us at least two things about who Jesus is. At least two things. It teaches us, Severus of Antioch puts it this way, that it reveals that it is our very sinful nature, and I love this part, that Christ came to heal. It teaches us about Jesus' flesh. Now, I want to be clear. I want to be clear that when Jesus, when he took on flesh, he did not take on sin, but he did take on our full humanity. And Tamar is in his family line. Jesus came to heal our very sinful nature. Or St. Gregory of Nazianzus said this, that, that what is not assumed is not healed. But the opposite is also true. What is assumed is healed through Christ. Look. All of us have family histories. All of us. And there's stories in there that we'd like to sweep under the rug. There's things that we parents don't want our children to ever know about us. And kids, there's stuff that you've done that you don't want your parents to know about. And what, what this story is telling us is, is, is that Christ came for that reason. Christ came to heal our full humanity. One pastor put it beautifully this way. The kind of people that Jesus came from is the kind of people that Jesus came for. He came for you and for me and to collect up all of that family dirt in his flesh and die for it and heal it fully. 
That's at least one thing that we can learn from this. The second thing that we need to learn about this is, is, is just as important, if not more so. I mean, look at this. this, is, this, this these things that, that, that Judah pushed into Tamar's life and that, that Tamar then lived out are the worst that can happen. But if you look at it, it all adds up to who? To Christ. Which means that, you know, as we look back at our lives and, and we, we, we experience this thing that we call regret, and we've all got things that we regret, we have to, we have to be able to feel more than just regret about it. Because all of those things, this is what we believe, we're led to believe this, all of those things, when we add them all up, they add up to Christ. They're fully healed, fully redeemed, and fully forgiven. Tamar, let's pray. Lord Jesus, you've shown us your great love in, in, in joining this, this family and the Holy Spirit. Your Spirit has revealed to us the kind of family that you joined in your love and mercy. Help us, Lord Jesus, to know that everything adds up to you no matter what we've done or who we've become. And to also know that that we're fully and freely healed by your coming. Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen.